live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Friday, 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 Friday. Golden Circle inside Treasure Island, TI Vegas. Cofield along with John Von Toll. James is helping us out down here at the set at the Golden Circle. And Damon is back in our Finley Toyota studios. Damon, what's going on? Oh, it's Friday. I'm excited, Steve. Uh, you're excited because you have a road trip coming up, right? Yes. Got, you know, got the word on my credential. It's going to be waiting for me at the will call. Can't wait. Pick that bad boy up. Do some right. tailgating. It was Wednesday or yesterday that we spoke about your car. Did you hear about this, John? Kind of. It was clearly Wednesday because John was here. So no, I wasn't. I wasn't here. I heard this through a third party. Oh, okay. So, and my comment when I was told about this through a third party was, if it was the Cofield and Company of uh, yesteryear when John was producing, or you know the the beautiful Chuck Ojeda, I'm sure it was handled with, you know, grace and aplomb, and DeMond was not just berated into the ground for his um, for his predicament. Okay, to be honest, DeMond, did I do any berating? You didn't try to, but, I mean, you were really backing up Adam on everything he said. You agreed with all the berating. I did, but the head berator was Mr. Adam Hill, and uh, DeMond had some car issues. His car may have been towed away. I oh, it's, I mean, what? I mean, what? Like the apartment got him because he was parked crooked? No. Oh, who did you? Did you? This dark <laughs> tint on the windows? No, no. Well, right. what, what happened, Damon? We don't have to relive this. Uh, did you get? I'm your, trying to get you to say it. I know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Uh, you said you were working on the car this morning, so I'll be getting it on Monday once I uh, make a couple, make, make one, one final payment. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that you're not betting to get the final payment because you mentioned you went gambling the other night. You're like, I need money. <laughs> That's how you get it. So I went gambling. I absolutely hope you did not bet on West Virginia against the Houston Cougars because the end of this game, if folks didn't see it last night, uh, if I had bet West Virginia and this happened with 12 seconds left and then it didn't result in a win, I would have freaking had a conniption. Yeah, 12 seconds left in the game. Uh, and West Virginia goes up 39 to 32. 12 seconds left in the game. Let's give this a listen. Fourth and 10, ball game on the line. Green's pass. Caught! Wow. And look out! It's Clement! He might score! He wow. does score! Touchdown, West Virginia! I actually did not, I wasn't watching the game. I saw it on the phone because I was checking because you, um, Stanford Route is a an assistant former Houston player or NFL insider on Thursdays and I'm like well that's a bummer 12 seconds left I mean what a way to lose and then and then uh, the Cougars get one last chance on a Hail Mary and by the way for all these times that we talk about clock management and sliding and hey you never know what can happen at the end of the game it's not that scenario here but they get a chance at a Hail Mary and here's Tim Brando again if he can get it off to the end zone Tick, and he caught it. Wow. It's touchdown, 
Toledo. Stefan Jackson does it again. Excellent. I said it. I'm sorry. I was getting into the spirit of the color analyst there that wouldn't let Tim Brando breathe. Yeah. You want to explain why that bothers you? And it certainly bothers me. Well, it's, it's like that's the art of the thing. Like, let the let the play-by-play guy do his job and explain the moment. It, it goes back to was it the Virginia, the Virginia game against was it Furman that they had a late buzzer beater in the NCAA tournament and the video of Kevin Harlan, I believe it was, putting his hands out yep. to both Stan Van Gundy and whoever else was there, telling him essentially, "Shut up and let me call this." Well, he did it because SVG, the Hedgehog, is kind of new to broadcasting, and sometimes if new people don't understand, like I got to do the call. The audience doesn't know. I mean, it's TV, so they know what's going on. But i got to finish the call as a play-by-play guy. And by the way, I'm not a play-by-play guy, but I do get to perform as an analyst. I will this weekend for uh, UNLV and Reno, and I kind of learned early on. I mean, I always thought this was the case, but hearing myself one time as Matt Neverett's making a call, and I'm like, Ugh! you know, just made, you know, whoa, like, shut up. Shut up. But it anyway. Doesn't, it doesn't add to the moment. I think people it abs- might. It adds nothing. Right. I think people in that situation might think it adds to the no. moment because, hey, I'm just as surprised as you are. I don't think it adds to the moment. Right over top of each other, which means, just like on radio. Don't do what? it. What? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right? can exactly. I, can I say it really quick? Yes. College, some, college football is fun. Yeah. But it's fun because it's bad sometimes. And... This is insane that both of these things would happen in the span of 12 seconds. And, by the way, on the heels of a weekend, which featured Mario Cristobal running when he should not, the Miami Hurricanes fumbling that and turning it over, and then subsequently giving up a Hail Mary themselves to lose a game. It is played so poorly sometimes, college football. And it leads to fun stuff like this. But, like, that first one for West Virginia, it wasn't even a traditional Hail Mary. It was a catch and run. How does that happen in that situation at all? We got we to Stanford about that. Well, at least he's on the right side of it. I mean, I mean, I mean you, can't ask, you can't ask him about being on the wrong side 12 right. seconds before the Hail Mary. Right, and how you allow a, whatever it was, a 30 or 40-yard catch and run for a touchdown in the last 30 seconds. All right, Demond, you fired up tonight. Uh, maybe you bet this one. Your, well, you already have. Your uh, Buffaloes, Colorado's taking on Stanford. 11.5 point, check that, 12.5 point favorite. And we do have an over-under win bet. I have the under, you have the over of seven wins for the Buffaloes. This so is a big one for you. You cannot lose this. Cannot and won't. Okay. I mean, come on, Steve. That's the worst team in the Pac-12. All right. Colorado? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so what's the bet? Seven wins this season? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you made it sound like when we talked about it yesterday that it was spanning into next year. No, we actually we were lining, which I, we need your uh, spreadsheet. Okay. We were up. lining up a bet, and I'm actually I'm getting screwed on this. No, we lined up a bet because I like what I saw in Arizona, and I like what uh, Jed Fish is doing. So I made DeMond starting with next season another two-year win total bet. Who will have more wins, Colorado or Arizona? Got it. Okay. And I should, I should, be, I should be a plus on that, right? If, they, if someone put that up on a board. Who would have more wins over the next two seasons, so 2024 and 2025? Yeah. Colorado, and just straight up, who would have more wins? Yep. Colorado or Arizona, and you have Arizona? Yeah, I would say Colorado would be the favorite there. Okay. I don't know to what degree, but I would assume they are the favorite. Yeah. I'm, I mean, Adam did fire back with Adam Hill, fired back with Dion could leave. Of course he could. Yeah. But it's still, 
you assume he stays for at the very least one more year. That gives you quite the edge in that year, and right. then whatever happens afterward. You know, if he leaves the cupboard bare, all of his uh, his Gucci is gone, hmm. or was it Louis? What was he bringing? I don't can't remember. What it the was players Louis. Were. Okay, thank you. Is that better than Gucci at this point? I don't know who you're asking. One guy just got, his car, <laughs> just got his car repoed. I'm I'm shelling out money left and right to uh, to take care of my tire issues. And that's a good point. I'm buying Minecraft costumes for a child. Yes, so. we, none, none of us. We don't know Louie or whatever. <laughs> we have no idea. No clue. All right, let's see. I got this open now. All right, so give me the bet one more time. Cope and the company show bets. Come on. Oh, that over the next two seasons, 2024 and 2025, that Colorado will have more wins than Arizona. Got it. All right. Pretty easy. Yep. I'm putting a lot of, I'm, you know, putting my bacon on the on the line a lot for Colorado. Oof, not looking good for uh, Miami Hurricanes' win total over the next two years, 15 and a half. Steve's got the over. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. That's a loss that might. Uh, no, it is that a might loss. burn you. That could be yeah. right. That could be the difference maker. Yeah. Can't lose that one. I got. What do I have? Roughly, uh, probably twenty six games. Yeah. And what are they right now? Uh, Five and one. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, it comes down to it. I'm just saying. Wins no, are you, we have a ninety nine point nine percent win probability. You should probably take it. Yeah, so. it'll be uh, it'll be worth watching, no doubt. And that started this year. Yes. I'm still confident. Trust in Mario, except on those plays. Just Neil, please. And so you also have seven wins this season as well. For Colorado, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm still not buying in, but I but more of it was about Arizona and what I'm seeing from Arizona, right? And remember, Arizona is going to the Big Twelve now, and I would say so is Colorado. So is Colorado. Um, I don't know if it's a given that they're going to go out there and beat Stanford. Colorado, yeah, I agree. Stanford's it's had big time number. off. Yep, it's a big number. Stanford's had time off. It's kind of a rigorous schedule, even going on the road and having to tough one out against Arizona State last time out. It's not the easiest walk-in and take-care-of-business type spot. Lots of NFL in the way. We'll get to uh, what the Broncos look like and more drama. And now it's with uh, Jerry Judy. That's coming up in about 15 minutes. But uh, up next, a look at the national slate for college football with our college football insider from Learfield, Michael Felder. Now back to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Time to talk college football, our national insider from Stadium and Learfield. Michael Felder is up with Cofield and company. All right, right out of the gates, we actually have a good Friday game to get into. You know, frankly, if Colorado loses the rest of the way, we're still going to talk about them every week. So we got we got Colorado in a game on Friday. I find this one pretty fascinating. Could it be a letdown? They're going against Stanford. I, I don't think there's going to be a letdown. Stanford, obviously, they, they just lost four in a row. And, yes, they want to get up to play Coach Prime, but at the end of the day – if you don't have it to give, you can't give it. And I think that's going to be the interesting part for me with Stanford. So I'm looking forward to watching them play. I'm looking forward to watching Colorado come out. And I'll be honest with you, I'll we'll peek behind the scenes. That game comes on right after I will have many people leave my home because we were having a girls' movie night for our yeah. kids. <laughs> How much of your popcorn do you have to make for that one? I don't know. I have no clue. And I can, the good thing about having a popcorn machine is you can make it ongoing so it's going to be really fun but no i when i when it comes to that game that's a that's a nightcap for me and that you know what you pour a little whiskey and you sit down and you just say oh we got through that event uh it's like yep. a it's like a warm-up for sleepovers but i want to see what shadur does i want to see um what this team looks like it, it's not their big noon saturday kickoff it's not the you know that it's it is 
in theory, prime time. It's West Coast prime time for sure. But I want to see what they look like on a Friday night, kind of being off schedule too. I don't think a lot of folks put a lot of stock in that, but you are off schedule when you're playing on a Friday night or when you're playing on a Thursday night. I want to see what they look like off schedule, and I want to see what they've learned, you know, from the from the last few weeks. I want to see if you're willing to pile on here. Uh, yesterday we started talking about Shador and mm-hmm. you know this thing, and yeah. I thought I thought it was just like a flex, and I'm like, why are NFL players doing this? But apparently, it has something to do. I'm I'm going to say it. I shouldn't be saying this, but it has something to do with the Roly. With the Roly, I don't. Yeah. What? Apparently, the Rolex. Oh yes. Oh, hey, the that- Rolex. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Oh, okay. because Shadur didn't. So here's the thing. I think Dion. I don't know if I got it backwards or forwards, but I think Dion bought him a Rolex, and then his and then Shadur, Shador or Shiloh or Shadur and Shiloh bought Dion a chain, and so okay. like flexing. And then obviously at the end of the day, flexing your Rolex that's a big thing. I'm not a. I'm not a. Uh, my dad and my brother are watch guys. They're, they're, my dad and brother are both big watch guys. Like they've got. They've got Mavados and Tag Hoyers and Patek Philippe and all they like. My my dad oh, and wow. brother love watches, and my my for his wedding gift, my sister in law brought my bought my brother a Rolex. I am listen. This is a Sterling, and let me tell you something. It's it's a good watch, but it's a watch that I can afford to lose down a garbage disposal uh, compared to spending tons of money on it. But I do love I love the Rolex. You want to talk about celebrations though? I hate this strapped up thing yep. because. I thought it was about them putting their sword back into the sheath, which is cool. That's cool. Buckling someone down and strapping them in, that means you're taking care of like your little baby. Like I, I buckle my kid up for school every day. It's not cool or fun or like interesting. It's safe. If it and maybe it's because I'm from North Carolina. My parents both went to ECU. ECU, obviously, the pirates. ECU and don't come at me. ECU has the best slogan in all of in all of sports. Period. When they say no quarter, people don't know what no quarter means. But no quarter means we're not taking any prisoners. Everybody's going to die. And they you 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 have swords. You put your sword away. That's cool. Like buckling in your kid is not cool. Like that's just a thing you have to do. Yeah. But it's it, yeah. So it, while we're on the topic of celebrations, I did need to bring that up. Well, I'm glad you brought it up because I got caught in that cycle too. Uh, you know that he was playing Vandy, and one of the linebackers did it. And then after the game, I was like, "Oh, he's you know putting his sword away." And they're like, "No, dummy, it's a seatbelt." And then a they seat play belt. at UTEP, and this is a lesson learned: cornerback makes a play on a wide receiver and does the seatbelt, and then leans over him. Here we go. There's the flag. So yeah. they have a big rivalry game coming up this week against Nevada. Right. And I actually said in the players' press conference on Monday, I'm like. Uh, you may want to put away the seatbelt for this one because, you know, with all the celebrations and the history and the nastiness and a rivalry, yeah. the refs will be looking for it. Um, I got to mention one other thing. Escalate. Uh, the be- I don't even know what school it was. The best uh, celebration that I've seen uh, after a game is or during a game was an offensive lineman wearing a pancake chain. And I'm, I'm yes. trying to look closely. And I was like, these have a pancake on. No, he's got a tub of syrup. Yeah, sir. That started at a high school. It started at a high school with an offensive line coach. I don't remember what it was. I think it was in Mississippi or somewhere. And it started where they did. They had a they had classic like go to Lowe's and buy the chain. And then they hooked up a literal jar of syrup to the chain. That's where it started from. And it's getting more <laughs> elaborate, but I love it. So good. It is so good. All right. Back to the uh, college football slate with Michael Felder from uh, Learfield here on Cofield yep. and company ESPN Las Vegas. 
Where do you have uh, Texas A&M after last week, and now they're going to Tennessee as a slight dog? I this I I can't put my finger on this team, man. And that's the part that's going to be really interesting is what do they look like? Because they're it's not just that they're a different team home and away; they're also a different team, you know, week to week. And that's you know that's what you get when you're playing, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds. We see how good they can be. We've seen how good they could be, like in terms of what they do, uh, both defensively and then obviously. Uh, Aeneas Smith is good grief. What a what an absolute freak when it comes to what he's able to do. But at the same time, they also make so many mistakes and they they don't do the right things all the time. And if you like muscle up against them, then sometimes they back down. So to me, I think this game, this might be the most important game in the SEC right now. Because we're looking at AM, we're looking at Tennessee, two teams that came in with big expectations on the year. And Tennessee came in as a team that was, what, top 12, top 15. And then A&M came in as a team that people thought could fly under the radar but still make plays happen. And all of a sudden, they're both limping into this game. So it's all this is going to be – this is like one of those things where you got to figure out who gets up off the mat off the mat first. And is Tennessee's speed and space going to prevail? Or is A&M, which they play good – they're, they're playing some pretty good defense. Is A&M going to be able to box these guys into a corner? This is one of those fights like – I, you're in Vegas. You're like Vegas is kind of the boxing capital, right? Like you guys have all the, the the big matches. Like this is about this is the difference between a team that wants to put you in a corner, and then wants to put t- Tennessee in the corner, and Tennessee wants to move all the way around the ring nonstop and tire them out and and really take focused shots until they can finally knock them out. So I don't know which this is a, a in the words of my guy George Whitfield, Styles make fights. If AM's able to put them in a corner, AM's gonna be in, they're gonna be in prime shape. But if Tennessee makes them chase them around the ring, uh-oh, you're gonna be in trouble. Brad, it's Felder on Substack. Michael Felder is with us. That's his weekly newsletter that comes out two, three times a week. Yep. Uh continuing on the SEC, Auburn's taking on LSU. Can LSU be a legit contender in the conference and beyond with this defense? Yeah, this deep. Oh, my goodness. We've, we've talked a lot about USC's defense. We haven't talked enough about LSU's defense. Back-to-back weeks, in two weeks, they've given up 1,200 yards. 1,200 yards in two weeks. That's buck wild. Like, that's crazy. Like, hey, man, you gave up 700 yards in this game and then 500 yards in this game, and it's just – and it wasn't like they gave them up to teams that we all are going, see, they're super good. Like, they didn't give up 700 yards to Washington – like that's that's not what happened. So I think this is going to be an interesting one. Um, Auburn plays pretty good defense. Auburn had um, who who they just had somebody dead. They had Georgia dead to rights. They had Auburn had Georgia dead to rights. They lose that game because they decide. And I don't know who makes this decision, but whoever decided that we're not going to cover Brock Bowers is a lunatic. Like that. Like that decision. And we can we can talk about decision making because Mario Cristobal, goodness gracious, what what were you thinking, my man? But at the end of the day, if you go into a final drive where all you need to do is get a stop and you don't cover Brock Bowers, you've made a humongous mistake. So I think that Auburn's going to play them tight. I think this is going to be an interesting ball game because LSU knows they have to score to win, and then, then you look at Auburn, and Auburn knows that LSU. Ha- they Auburn also knows LSU has to score to win, and they're coming off a game where. They feel like they should have won against Georgia. Now they got to do it again, and they had a little bit of chance to get prepared for it. Fascinating game. You mentioned USC, Notre Dame, 
You know, yeah. Notre Dame Ooh. gets a dream killer uh, last week. Uh, they all they've also had no breaks. I mean, it, yeah. you know, since before Ireland, there, mm-hmm. there's never a break. And and then USC is just reeling on defense here. What happens? I said this already. I think Notre Dame is going to win. I do because at, at least I know Notre Dame's defense has a pulse, and we've seen Caleb Williams in tight spots make some mistakes, and I think that's going to be that could be the difference in this football game. So I'm looking forward to see what this looks like. I do think Notre Dame is going to win. I don't think they should win. I think USC should win this game. But if you're not going to get um, from your defense what we want you to get, then they're going to have a problem keeping Notre Dame at bay. And that's going to be the issue for for USC over the course of this season. If every game is a game, we just watched that Arizona game. If every game is a nail biter, arm like nail biter, hair puller, like it's just going to be tough. So I don't know. I think Notre Dame is going to be the one that finally kind of the straw, if you will, that breaks the camel's back. And then probably the best shot at the Pac-12 getting into the college football yeah. playoff eliminator game, Washington a small favorite over Oregon. Yeah, I, I, Washington's unbelievable. I need to listen. My family's from Missouri, so show me, show me that someone can stop Washington because what they do offensively is insane. I, I just I love watching it. So yeah, I, I want to see if someone can stop them. I'm I, I I'm looking. For, I want someone to stop them. I want someone to show me a blueprint so that I can draw it and show how they got stops on defense. I want someone to show me. If that someone is Oregon, I'm all, I'm all down for it. Oregon, though, by the way, is going to find ways to score points as well. So this is going to be a really fun football game, and I'm really glad. I know you're out you're, you're out, out there on the West Coast. I'm so, How excited – let me ask you. How excited are you that this is a 3.30 kick? Because that means that East Coast folks are going to be awake and paying attention to what is the best game this weekend in college football. It's massive. I mean, I think yeah. that's been the that was that was one of the biggest things that led to the fall of the Pac-12 is the yeah. lack of TV coverage in the important windows, and now right. you're getting it. No, I love it. I think it's fantastic. I'm looking forward to watching this game. Listen, it's still going to be bright and sunny here. Uh, we're getting a little bit of fall weather, but I'm looking forward to watching. I'm I'm looking forward to watching this at 3:30 on a Saturday, 3:30 Eastern time, and letting them rock and roll. Mike, I appreciate the time and I appreciate the flexibility. We'll uh, talk again next week and enjoy this weekend and uh, make a lot of popcorn. Dude, going to make a ton of popcorn. We're doing cheesy popcorn. We're doing movie theater popcorn. So we're going to be ready to rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Michael Felder, college football insider from Learfield. Check out his show on the uh, Varsity podcast page. College Sports Now. Giveaway time. 364-1100-364-1100. Nas Wu-Tang Clan New York State of Mind Tour here in town. Next Saturday, the 21st, MGM Grand Garden Arena. You can get your tickets at AXS.com. We've got a pair right now. Caller 7. DeMond's going to hook you up. 364-1100. And that, that's, that's a boneheaded mistake by me. They were calling one as well, and I'm off and down. But that, 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 that's stupid. Now back to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. All right, rolling on. You heard it at TI. Damon, who was that? That was Sean Payton after last night's game. Okay. All right. Well, not the best night for Sean Payton again. What do you mean? 197 total yards is respectable. Not really. Not really. What was the deal with the play sheet or the play oh, call sheet? It's great. Caught this, on, what, 4K? Yeah, so, I mean, this is technology, right? You know, we're getting – my TV is better than my eyesight. Like, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go anywhere, right? I just want to watch television this whole time. Um, you know, we're years away from us. You ever seen Wally? Uh, and Wally, they, they're all like a bunch of really fat people that are just like stuck to their chairs. 
because like technology is awesome and why would you ever get up and that's the same thing here technology is getting better and better every day so you know how you do the zoom in on the uh the coach and he's got the play sheet over his mouth and he's calling the plays well, it was a little too high quality the entire back of his play sheet was filled and so you saw you saw the symbol like, oh, you saw the no. wording for like certain things what he wants to do what their symbols are uh some people pointed out which is actually i kind of agree with this it's really irritating to check off plays, you know, sometimes you'll you'll see the coaches mark like, okay, we use this play, we use this. Sean Payton uses dots instead of like check marks or X's, so like that drove people crazy. But like that's how many details you saw on this thing. There was different terminology for different situations. So at the very least, like some of those audible calls, those out loud things that they usually do. Like I think one of them was, you know, to uh, to clock the ball. It was something ridiculous, like you know, it was something like check, 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 or whatever. You know, use that as an example. Now you have to change all of your terminology because all of these defensive coordinators can just go on Twitter and see exactly what you're doing. So it was pretty incredible. So it's bad enough that it was caught on camera, but then people started ripping him for what he actually termed everything. Right. <laughs> My, it, it, you, just, you can't win. Microanalysis, just needling the guy. Yeah, like, like uh, let's see. Quarterback sneak was converse. Um, spike the ball, clock it easy. Uh, one of his plays, I think it's a 22P Dragon uh, Live. Uh, Delhi is the call. So, like, certain things like that. Like, yeah, you have an idea of what everything is. Henny was one. There's a call play. So, yeah, it's just a whole – you can see the whole sheet of terminology and what those quick calls are in the two-minute drill. So, that's something you really got to change. Now you got to go through and change all of your terms. What a freaking mess. It's a little bit of a nightmare. Also, if, like, if you're that secretive – why make it that obvious? You know what I'm saying? Like, it, you, if you're covering your mouth and you're doing all that, we're going to be able to see that. I mean, wouldn't you think of that? I don't know. It's just me. I've never understood it. Now, my favorite was every response was just Bill. You know that old gif of Bill Belichick sitting and eating popcorn with his binoculars? Yeah. Every, every response right. was just that one. <laughs> <laughs> and Belichick, the way his offense is going, he needs well, it. Do they play the Broncos? You know uh, people must steal – Whatever from the the play sheet, right? Just in general, they might have not might speak. They might not have access to it. But if there's so many guys, because Andy Reid, I don't know if he still does it, but I think he does it. If there's so many coaches who do it, they must have had it in the past happen to him. Yeah, right. That was a long way to say people are stealing stuff. That's right. Um, Romo and Answer here in town. Yeah. So well, why is this significant? Well, I thought this was actually really interesting because I actually never really thought about this. So apparently, every year. And I think I would assume every network does this, but the years that CBS has the Super Bowl, they'll actually send their top team out during the regular season to a game in that stadium so they can have a dry run of like what the Super Bowl is going to look like, so they can get a familiar you know with the stadium and the setup and all of that kind of stuff. And obviously, the Super Bowl is out here this year, so it opened up with all right, we got a Raiders game that's going to be on CBS. Let's go send out Jim and Tony and. Let's get ready and have a dry run and get ready for the Super Bowl broadcast. It was, it was one of those interesting media things that I never really thought of. And when you look at the schedule, you're like, why are Tony and Jim on this game? Like, there's, I know there's not a lot of great games, but it was kind of weird to have them on a game like this, especially in the afternoon slate. Like, Philly and New York, I think it might be a Fox game, though, so that's probably the thing that runs into Either way, they're going to be out here in Las Vegas. They get Chargers and Raiders. I wonder how far out they Patriots and Raiders. I wonder how far out they schedule things. I would assume pretty far out, right? Yeah. You know, so they they look up and they're like, "Oh boy, yep, <laughs> these teams aren't good." Yeah, they get they look. I mean, I guess 
at the beginning of the year, it had a little bit more intrigue in that did you really expect one team to be 1-4 and four and the other to be 2-3? and three? Like maybe you're hoping for both teams to be around 500, maybe a game over. But the way it has looked these last couple of weeks, what a dry run it's going to be. Get on down here, uh, TI Vegas, Golden Circle, Sportsbook, and Bar. 55-plus TVs. The betting kiosk are 24-7. The Sportsbook is still open right now. I've also got some cool prizes. Uh, i got UNLV football, Colorado State tickets for next week, and more of those tickets to see Wu-Tang and Nas. That's on uh, October 21st. So you come on down. Parking is free here. You can grab the Loco Moco, the carne asada fries, the chicken fingers. Uh, our vast digital crew just posted a video of us talking about the chicken fingers last week. The Southpaw Chicken Tenders. We got a little too into those, but they are very, very good. And the food here, in general, is awesome at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Well, I was listening to radio this morning and uh, the Dan Patrick show because I was driving around early this morning. And uh, he had on our guy... Bijan Robinson. And I never got to hear the interview, and I don't know if Dan went to the old issue that we've had with Bijan Robinson or... Bajan? Bajan is the correct pronunciation. Is it? He said it is. He said it is, but as a kid, everyone called him Bijan, so he's like, I don't care. Just call me whatever you want. I, I know. I, I disagree. It's got to be how it's pronounced. Do we have an issue with the Patriots insider who's on with us right now? Are we going to tell Mike, somebody? Mike, Mike, Mike debate, but I, I swear it's supposed to be Diabate. Mike, are you saying your, your last name correctly? <laughs> you know, that's a common question that <laughs> I get really? all the time. Okay, um, all right, all right. My uncle was a state senator up here in Rhode Island oh, for a wow. number of years, Americanized the pronunciation years ago, but you are correct. The correct pronunciation is Diabate, so that's exactly how it should be. If you pronounce it that way, you're definitely not wrong. Wow. Can I just say really quickly, no better way to represent, like, America in a nutshell than having to Americanize a simple last name like Diabate. Like, no, it's too hard. Can't do that. Sorry. We're going to go with debate instead. (laughs) Well, I guess if you're going to be a politician and your last name is debate, I guess you could do worse. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, We don't have to look down that road of history of having to change names. Um, Let's let's just do an overview here of, of the Patriots right now. I mean, are you... Are you shocked with how badly this is going? I guess I wouldn't say completely and utterly shocked, but yeah, I'm definitely uh, more than just a little surprised uh, by how things have gone, especially this year. Coming into this season, it was supposed to be a much smoother transition when it came to offense. Bill O'Brien's presence was supposed to right the wrongs that we saw last year under Matt Patricia and, of course, under Joe Judge. Patriots were supposed to move the ball better, use the short to intermediate areas of the field to draw the defense in, lead your receivers under it, get yards after the catch, and use it a solid running game to facilitate play action. We haven't seen any of that this year in New England offensively uh, for whatever reason. Maybe it's a lack of talent at certain skill position players. Uh, maybe it's uh, you know a lack of competency at the quarterback position. The offensive line has not played up to are they've been decimated by injury and the guys that have been in simply have not been doing their job so new england right now on offense has been a solid disappointment uh in all phases defensively i'm willing to give them a little bit more of a pass having lost christian gonzalez and matthew judon their top two defenders now to injured reserve they're going to be out until at least december in judon's case and gonzalez done for the year but it just has not gone the way new england patriots fans had hoped up here 
So before we get to the on-field stuff, we have to get to the important off-field stuff. We, can you, as somebody who is actually around this and is following this on a day-to-day basis, can you give us any insight onto what this relationship is like with Mac Jones, Bill Belichick, Bill O'Brien? Because that seems to be a big talking point is, what, what did Colin Coward call him the other day, Steve? McEnroe Jones? Like, there, there seems to be this narrative that Mac Jones is kind of at the center of this with the way that he is from a personality standpoint. Well, there are insiders that will tell you that there are chippiness, uh, you know, behind the scenes and whatnot. I personally haven't seen it, so I can't necessarily speak to that. All I can tell you is all sides right now are saying the right things. Bill O'Brien got in front of the microphone this week, talked about how they're starting over, they believe in Mac, and they're going to continue to utilize that throughout this week and try to see if there's a way that this offense can be salvaged. Bill Belichick said we're not making any changes. Everybody has to be better. So everybody is kind of giving the canned response that you would expect a coach, quarterback, and coordinator to give. But ultimately, the results on the field are what is going to dictate whether or not this season, or really from one week to the next, gentlemen, is going to be successful in New England. If they come out and play flat once again, I don't think anything is off the table. I think any and all moves could be possible. And on that basis, anything is possible here in New England. So, again, I'm not hearing necessarily any rumblings of anything imminent, but I wouldn't say any speculation right now is far-fetched. So when you answered about what was going on with this team, you said maybe with the offense it was poor quarterback play. Maybe it was certain things. What do you see? What do you think it is when you watch this team? Well, there's definitely a regression in the way Mac Jones is playing. He's not playing with any confidence. Um, he is not making sound decisions with the football. Two things that actually were strengths of his coming out of college and in his rookie season. We saw Mac Jones lead uh, the New England Patriots uh, to a playoff berth in his first year. His numbers weren't otherworldly, but he did put together a very solid season for a rookie quarterback, one of the better in recent history when you look at it statistically. Uh, you're not seeing that anymore. He's opening at the top of the drop in the wrong direction. It's causing a lot of Un, you know, uncharacteristic mistakes. He's getting behind early. He's throwing a lot of interceptions and turning the ball over early in the game. These are things that are unacceptable if you're a starting quarterback in the National Football League, especially one in his third year. So that's been a big problem, and that's probably issue one with the Patriots. Second of all, he's getting no protection. Uh, he's being pressured on over 40% of his dropbacks. Uh, for the third straight uh, week, that is not acceptable. If you're an offensive line, Mac had an average of about 1.3 seconds to react uh, to pressure before he was forced to shed the ball. So before anyone starts completely piling on Mac Jones, you have to factor that in. And the running game hasn't got on track either. From Andre Stevenson averaging 2.6 yards per carry, Ezekiel Elliott was brought in here to spell him if he wasn't uh, you know, up to you know, doing what he did last season. He hasn't been much better at 3.8. It's really been a perfect storm of terrible offensive play that has put the New England Patriots in the position they're in. It's Mike DeBate, host of the Locked On Patriots podcast. So, Mike, one of the things that Steve and I have discussed a lot, Steve seems to think that Bill Belichick may be on the verge of getting fired uh, if this thing continues to go south. My response has been no, but I think you need to have real conversation with Bill, and I wanted you to expand on this point. I think we're having a growing list of, of evidence that Bill Belichick is not making the best decisions when it comes to offensive personnel. Would you agree with that, and do you think that is a change that needs to be made? Yeah, I would agree with that, and I would say that's a change that needs to be made. I mean, as much you know, right as Bill Belichick has gotten in his career, which is far more than he's gotten bad, 
uh, there have been suspect decisions lately. I think one of the most egregious mistakes that he's made was not addressing the offensive line futility that we saw last season. New England was very content to go into this season not spending money on a solid upgrade, especially a tackle, uh, with a veteran coming in that had an established history and an ability to be a solid bookend to Trent Brown on the other side. They did not address that. Uh, in the draft, they didn't address the offensive line until or really address the problems that they had along the offensive line until the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds. You can't expect to have the type of offensive growth that you've seen in other teams here in New England if you don't address the problems. Uh, the buttons that they've pressed at wide receiver have not been correct. Juju Smith-Schuster has not worked out as a complementary receiver here in New England in the way that Jacoby Myers was a very solid number one here in New England. And unfortunately, New England is paying the price for it right now. And Jacoby is playing solid for the Raiders. You're seeing the type of player that New England, and especially Mac Jones, is missing uh, uh, seriously. So, yeah, I would say that's an adequate assessment. And I think that's a conversation that will be had, whether it's this year in season or at the end of the year, uh, I think it would have to be something catastrophic to have it in season. But, you know, again, when you're facing the type of futility New England's put out the last couple of weeks, it grows on you really quick. If they don't show any type of improvement, again, gentlemen, I don't think anything's off the table. When Jacoby Meyer signed with the Raiders, you know, around 10 and a half, 11 mil a year, did you think that was outrageous? Like, there's no way the Patriots could pay him or... I mean, looking back at it now, obviously New England needs weapons. They probably should have paid him, but at the time, did you think it was absurd? No, I didn't think it was absurd at all because we got a chance to see Jacoby on a weekly basis and what he brings to the team. He's not necessarily the greatest athlete on the field. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but what he does is give you short-handed ability to know that he's going to come down with the ball at the point of the catch, and you're seeing that, and the type of um, relationship he's building with Jimmy Garoppolo in Las Vegas is what we expected the New England Patriots to cultivate and the relationship that he had with Mac Jones. He was probably Mac Jones's most reliable target other than tight end Hunter Henry. So if you're looking for someone at the receiver position that could give you that type of assurance or at least that type of security that Mac Jones is looking for, Jacoby Myers is the guy that would have done it. Uh, and they gave comparable money, if not greater guaranteed money, to Juju Smith-Schuster, who has not worked out here in New England. So... No, I didn't think it was uh, phenomenal uh, over-the-top money uh, that uh, Jacoby got in uh, in Las Vegas. I think he was paid according to what his abilities are, and he's showing that. It's Cofield and Company live here at Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar on the Strip inside Treasure Island. Mike DeBate is with us, the host of Locked On Patriots podcast. I mean, this game is massive. They have to win this game. Uh, up next is Buffalo and then at Miami, and I'm not saying they can't win those games, but you drop to 1-5, and five, I don't know how much confidence you have left, and all of a sudden you could be facing freaking 1-7 in, in the face and then real talk about just tanking the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that is the reality that the New England Patriots are facing. So it goes to show you how much resource they need to dedicate to making sure that they're competitive in this game, that they keep it close, and then try to pull out the victory. Because if they're flying home from Las Vegas at 1-5, and facing again a Buffalo Bills team coming up that is capable of really, you know, providing them with even more headaches than they've received these last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, you're absolutely in form at that point uh, to consider anything and everything on the table. So New England has to play their best game of the season this week to be able to do it. 
And you guys see this Raiders team all the time. This is not a, a get-right game for New England. Uh, the Raiders present a lot of the same problems that the Patriots have seen the last couple of weeks. This is not a slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination. Um, their backs are up against the wall, and they get a tough one this Sunday. So let's close on this. Let's go back to the discussion about what happens in the future. If Robert Kraft and, and uh, Jonathan Kraft went to Belichick and they're like, all right, we got to draw the line here. we got to bring in a GM. That's just that's a must. What does Belichick do? Does he walk? Mm, you know, that's a question that I'm asked so often, and it's so difficult to be able to uh, to answer without a lot of context behind it. My gut reaction, gentlemen, would tell me that I don't think Bill Belichick would accept that type of arrangement. Mm-hmm. I think that type of a demotion um, would be uh, a situation where he realized that the handwriting is on the wall. This team wants to go in a different direction, and they believe in a new philosophy. And at that point. I think Bill would probably rather, uh, as Bill Parcells once said, shop for the groceries and maybe do his grocery shopping in another location to close out his career or simply just say the game has passed me by at this point and I'm ready to ride off into the sunset. I think the latter of the two is probably the more unlikely of the two, but I don't see Belichick accepting that arrangement. I just don't. I think, And I think New England... Knowing Bill Belichick would probably not want to put him in that position. I think they would probably say, look, the time has come for us to move in a different direction. Bill, you were the greatest coach in NFL history in your run here in New England. We wish you all the best, but uh, in the Patriots' lore, we need to do something different. I don't think they'd give him a demotion of that type, and I just don't think Belichick would be willing to accept it. Mike, great job. We appreciate you uh, joining us on late notice. Uh, Enjoy the weekend. Anytime, gentlemen. Thanks so much for having me on. Have a great time and have a great game uh, this weekend. There he is. Mike DeBate. Locked on Patriots. I mean, isn't that the perfect way to get out? Like if you're Belichick? Both. Oh, of course. Right? It's like, like, hey, well, I mean, come on. And when, you know, the, the Parcells thing, shopping for the groceries, and Parcells wasn't awesome at it, but he was pretty good. I mean, Belichick right now is hit rock bottom, uh, you know, not to mock on the uh, frugality of these places, but, you know, you want to go with a cheesy line about where's he shopping? A freaking 99 cent store? Because, uh, you know, they, I mean, they're NFL players, so you don't want to kill them, but they're just. The talent is not there. The athleticism is not there. There's no explosiveness. No, he is. By the way, he's the one who picked Mac Jones. Right. So the fact that he hasn't worked out, that's your fault. Well, I also think, too, when it comes to Mac Jones, you know, I, I think he also played a hand in potentially regressing Jones, right? Because after his rookie season where he looked okay, you gave him that offensive staff, and then, of course, we know what happened from there. It's a big risk on Belichick's part, though. Because I think we're all seeing that he has no idea, again, not no idea, he is having difficulty evaluating and assessing offensive talent. And if he leaves because he doesn't like that designation, like, hey, I want to pick everything, and he continues to struggle on the offensive end somewhere else, it's going to be a big hit for him legacy-wise and what we think about him as a head coach. That's why he needs to be proactive pretty soon on reaching out or having someone reach out to other organizations. Kind of get a feel for what's going on there. Oh, somebody will snap him up quick if he does part ways there's no reason not to i don't know if if staley flops and they don't make the playoffs then he will go does tom telesco stay i think tom telesco is a good gm Mm -hmm. he just can't hire coaches he just hasn't been great at it i like staley you know that and i still think they can have a really good season but that could be a match but the spanos family is kind of legendary is a a bit weird and i don't know if belichick would want to cozy up with them